0: Hello and welcome to the Art of the Cut podcast, brought to you in partnership with Frame.io. My name is Steve Hallfish. I'm a feature film and documentary editor. For more than seven years, I've been speaking to my colleagues in film, TV, and docs about the art and craft of editing. My goal is to ask the kind of questions that you'd ask if you were given the opportunity to chat with some of the world's best editors. If you're interested in reading this interview with visual support and clips and trailers, head on over to blog.frame.io where there's a ton of great expert content for film professionals of all types. Today, we're talking about the much talked about, buzzworthy Mayor of Easttown, starring Kate Winslet and edited by Amy Duddleston, ACE, and Naomi Sunrise Fellaramo. Amy has cut numerous feature films, including the remake of Psycho back in 1998, Laurel Canyon, and Lies and Alibis, among many others. She's also edited TV series including Hunters, The Umbrella Academy, American Gods, and Dexter. Naomi has worked as an assistant editor on numerous series including Grey's Anatomy and American Gods, and also on the feature film One Night in Miami. She's also making a name for herself as an editor with features like Sophie Jones and on series like Tagged. Amy, you were in a documentary that was in Art of the Cut, which was 7852.
1: Yeah, it was about the shower scene in Psycho. The
0: entire documentary, for those that don't know, just about the shower scene.
1: And so because I had cut the remake of Psycho, Gus Van Sant's remake of Psycho, very early in my editing career, he brought me on to talk about, you know, remaking the shower scene and how we did that. It was very strange at first because, you know, we did it shot by shot and we even did it from the original storyboards, which he even threw out some of those shots. So we took it all in and cut it and it was kind of boring (laughs) to kind of remake something that's so iconic. So Gus felt really compelled to kind of make that part his own because it was just, it needed something. It was bizarre because the remake of Psycho was supposed to be this cut-by-cut conceptual art piece. And a lot of it was. All of the shots of Marion driving with the background, all of that, I mean, we kept it pretty close. And the shower scene was where we got hung up. And um, we did so many versions. And then Gus was finally like, what about clouds? time-lapse clouds and I was like, why not? Let's see what happens. And so that was kind of a great, it was fun to talk about that.
0: Before I get over to Naomi, I want to dig into that because I really love that idea that he says, what about clouds? And my first instinct is no, <laughs> <laughs> right? But that's a bad instinct for an editor, right? You should, it's like improv, you always say yes and, right? so i love that you said okay clouds sure
1: because we needed to do something i mean this is the thing with editing it's like why not start throwing things in because you just put it on like naomi and i will talk about this later when we talk about the um scene in episode 105 where we're at wayne potts's house we had the kitchen sink in there it was all of the shots everything and it was so you start with everything just you have an idea throw it in it's like (laughs) You can and always take, you take it out,
0: right? Yeah, the clouds editing. the clouds exactly. didn't work. The clouds
2: didn't work. But it was like Yeah,
0: we tried it though.
2: There's a similar moment in Mare too, yeah. Amy. You may recall there was a passage of time sequence you were working on. And it was like, what about this shot of water?
1: Right. The shot of water. I was like, okay, let's try the shot of water. <laughs>
0: Yeah. You definitely have to fight the instinct to say no.
1: You just have to fight it. And I probably did say no. It came out. (laughs) No. Um, I tried a lot of things.
0: And Naomi, you have worked on a lot of projects that we've done Art of the Cuts on Grey's Anatomy. And Fury. And I just did an interview with about one night in Miami.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So you have been around.
2: <laughs> I have. I have. I have worked on all kinds of different films and television series. I think I've been really lucky. I remember when I was finishing film school, I remember it was right around the time The Sopranos ended. And uh, one of the second year faculty members at AFI was talking about how, you know, it's so easy to get pigeonholed in this business and to get stuck doing one thing and how I forget which one, but it was one of the sort of like big time editors of the Sopranos who had been a feature editor, but then did all you know seven, eight seasons of Sopranos and then couldn't get a feature after that, because now people saw that editor as a, a television editor. So I think I've been really lucky and I, I think it's also been mindful for me to try to really continue to keep my feet in both worlds. I love doing both of them and I didn't wanna get stuck.
0: Feature editors get stuck in a genre, right? Yeah,
1: no, I mean, I'm kind of stuck in television now. I was a feature editor and now it's like, it's where the most interesting things are. Like I have a family, so I can't take the lowest paying job anymore. I have, you know, I mean, part of that is television has sustained my (laughs) family. So I can't, I would love to do a movie for nothing. It would be amazing. Luckily people like Naomi can like-
2: Yeah, weave in and out. Weave in and out,
0: do it. I have done the last couple of interviews discussing something I've never talked to anybody about, which is agents. So is that something an agent will help you with? Hey, look, if you wanna make the jump to features, I mean, I know you were there before, and so that's not really a jump for you, but do we wanna do this to get you back? Or do we, look, this project's much more high profile on TV. Why don't you do this? What's the value of an agent? Why do you have an agent?
1: Mostly. I got an agent so that I could start finding work. I was still a feature editor and working a lot in indie film. And so just having other people kind of advocate for you was a really great thing. Psycho was kind of the film that got my agent. There was a full page ad in the newspaper. It brought a lot of things to me. And so they just wanted to start building on that. Like you've worked with Gus Van Sant. You were Curtis Clayton's assistant. So they just kind of wanted to go from that. And I would never have thought of that. So that was really helpful in the beginning. I've found it to be great to have an agent. And Naomi has one now too. Naomi, do
0: you have- I do. You do? And what's the value of that agent for you?
2: For me, it's funny. It's sort of a similar story. For a long time, um, I was going back between editing and assisting. And at that time, I felt like I wasn't interested necessarily in having an agent. You know, a lot of my assistant work came to me just through the people I had worked with. I built up a network. You know, I felt I was certainly getting plenty of work on my own, but then I got to a point where I definitely felt there was a a ceiling. I was getting some meetings. I would say, you know, meet with a director on a and that director would want to hire me and then the producers wouldn't meet with me I wasn't legitimate enough didn't have quite the credits and I didn't have representation so if I wanted to see how things were going I had to be the person to call and check in and so for me I had a, a, a small indie film called Sophie Jones that premiered Last fall in competition at Deauville, actually the same week that One Night in Miami was premiering at Venice, it was kind of a crazy deal, you know, it's one of those little films that you believe in, and you put everything you have into it, and you don't know if anyone will ever see it, but sort of that kind of confluence of that film doing so well, and One Night in Miami, of course, doing so well became that perfect storm and a a friend of mine who's an editor was talking about me with her agent and she said I'd really like to meet her and talk with her and it was something where I was feeling like it was time at this point to get some help getting in the room and I think that's something that is um, really essential for me but also I found I actually really love having a partner in my career and someone to bounce off the different decisions and thinking about that strategy, you know, coming off of mayor, what are we going to prioritize as the next thing? And in terms of my long-term goals, what are the ways to help me continue to move in that direction? Uh, And I really value uh, Dana. That's her name. I value her insights. And it's really great to just know that I have someone else on my team who's as interested as I am in getting me where I'm trying to get, but also enjoying it along the way. (laughs)
0: that's great did you start as an assistant on this show i know you edited on this show or were you an editor from the beginning
2: i was an editor from from the moment i joined
0: because there are people who do start as an assistant and the editor's like you cut so many scenes and you're so good and we're just promoting you on
1: i brought naomi onto this show actually naomi and i had worked on two other shows together um she was an assistant on the other shows but she was never my assistant but we became friends and then I went on to American Gods and my assistant was leaving to work on another show. And I thought, oh, I want to, you know, maybe Naomi can do this. And so then Naomi came on to be my assistant and then she ended up assisting somebody else. It was a crazy show, American Gods. So I needed help on there because I, I mean, maybe we can talk about how I ended up with the whole show we started the show in 2019 in November there were two editors I was one of two and then when the pandemic hit and about a month in we were kind of just working finishing up what work we had left over that they had finished shooting before they had to shut down and they let the other editor go and put me in charge of the entire show so my job for the next six months was to recut the entire show And so I did. And then when they finally came back to finish shooting, they had about two months, two and a half months left to go. And I was like, I'm going to need help (laughs) doing this because I can't do dailies and finish these producer cuts. So I said, I know the perfect person. (laughs) And um, I got Naomi to come on. It was great. And then we finally finished shooting and HBO said, hey, we want this show in April. So that's four months from now, so um, I needed help. Somebody else had to start doing producer and director's cuts on some of these other episodes while I was still doing notes on the other things. So Naomi came in and that's how she became the co-editor on those other episodes.
0: I want to talk a little art and craft stuff. we spent quite a bit of time talking about career, which I love. And I think people want to know about and, and like to know about. At the end of episode two, as we go into the big reveal, which we won't say what it is, the scenes are intercut. Was that scripted that way? Do you remember whether those scenes were intercut or not?
2: They were scripted as intercut, but they were not scripted in the way in which they ultimately ended up intercut. And that was Definitely one of the sequences that we worked on the most in directors and producers cut because when we put the episode together, we put it together in script order, and it just—it's always so interesting to me. Sometimes at the script level, it's very clear. You know, even reading it, I'm gonna move these things around. This isn't gonna stay like this. And sometimes at the script level, it's really working, and then it's a surprise when you put it together, and it's just not working on the screen the way it does in the page. And I think for for me anyway, I didn't have an instinct on at the script stage that we were going to have to really rearrange but once we got it together it was definitely like this isn't quite building up to that reveal in the way that we want it to that was definitely something that got re-envisioned a handful of times really trying to move some of those pieces around and see which parts of those scenes were the most important and then whittling away the uh, certain elements that weren't serving to continue that tension ramping up as you get to that reveal
0: can you remind me since you obviously remember it quite well what were the two scenes that were being in our cut
2: well so i think there were three there were three uh, yeah there were three so there was mare and the hoagie uh, i guess i'll just leave it in that
0: no yeah. onions
2: the hoagies and the, and the wawa you know obviously a big fan uh, favorite element there was Lori and jess and her mom coming over to talk about some big news and then there was Dylan and Kenny. Dylan was being led off into the woods by Aaron's father.
0: What are some of those things that, when you're intercutting, you find, you know, this, the script isn't working? What are some of those elements that make intercutting better? And Amy, you can join in on any movie that you can think of intercutting or, or parts of Mayor.
1: <laughs> you know, it's just what pieces go together. With that sequence in 102, just having like the pieces of Kenny's car going down the road, then you go inside the car and then you cut to Jess and her mom showing up at Lori's house. And then it's just knowing it's it's a balance. I mean, it is. It's, it's like Naomi can tell you, it's juggling. At some point, yeah, you're going to have to stop on that scene with Kenny and Dylan and let it play out. And the other scene where they're in the living room, you're going to have to let that play out. And how do you resolve all of that? On a page, it's like an eighth of a page. And then on film, it's this big. So you're just trying to manage, you know, expectations of how it should feel. And, and I don't know, Naomi can talk about, especially that sequence a little bit more. because. Uh...
2: Well, I think what I'm re- what I'm remembering, and it is so funny, it's like you... Obviously, we lived with this material and me, not even nearly as long as Amy did, but you lived with it for a long time. And and then when it's finally done, somehow it suddenly becomes so foggy, like, right? What was it that we were? (laughs) But my recollection is that ultimately one of the elements of the script stage that was not translating is kind of each thing was given equal weight. And part of what was essential in that sequence was figuring out what actually here is worthy of the sort of screen time and the emphasis that's going to continue to build tension and what is is actually something we kind of just need to move through maybe essential but it needs to kind of just be explained delivered what have you and then move past it because there are kind of a number of big things that happen in that sequence again without giving any spoilers and they can't all feel as important and so I think that was really seeing like oh, what are the two kind of really big deals that are going to happen here and you kind of know it right when you and you say okay well this giant thing happens and this other giant thing happens and we need to make sure that these feel like the biggest two moments of the end of this episode so these other things that were kind of given equal weight in terms of tension building we're start- starting to to drain tension instead of add to it and so you have to really whittle those away so that it's again kind of giving the information you need Because especially in a series like this, all the information, it's going to continue to build in the following episode. So there are certain elements that do have to be given some time and you want to make sure that they land with an audience and that they kind of take it in. Because, you know, I think another one of the things that people had so much fun with on this series was trying to figure it out for themselves. And so you want to be laying those breadcrumbs for them and keeping them invested. But some things you kind of had to just get it out and keep going to help build up to these other bigger moments that we're going to leave that audience with that like kind of gut punch feeling.
0: Another moment that I wanted to talk about, I just, I loved the scene in the neurologist's office when Mare goes in to talk about the sun's blinking and her performance is just incredible, Right and you you just want to i would think just stay with her at all times but you have to see the no
1: and this is like i i still talk about this i mean i talk about this scene a lot because no it was like i could not cut away from from kate winslet and the actress who plays the pediatrician and i really felt bad because she had kate winslet as a scene partner giving it her
2: all.
0: Yeah, that was my take on it. I just loved watching her. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know when you would cut away. And when do you choose to be awful? But
2: I do think her performance still, I, as little as we cut to her, that, I do think her performance was so strong that her empathy.
1: Oh, the it, empathy.
2: Yeah. I think that was actually the essential counterpoint yeah. to Kate's performance. Yeah. With someone there who was taken aback by this sudden you know, divulging of a really long and complicated history, but was able to create and hold space for her. I think it actually cool. does. It is the perfect extra element to that performance to let Kate's performance shine even more than it. No, and she
1: had. was very gentle in her like, would you like, do you don't? Do you think you would want to talk to somebody? Do you, you know?
0: Yeah. And I even love the wide shot that you cut to where she accepts the card. It's kind of like, She wasn't being dismissive, but I thought being on a wide for that moment said something about how she didn't really want to take it or she, you know, it was, I thought it was an interesting choice.
1: It's just a good end for the scene. Yeah. Cause you're just like in that emotional moment for so long that it's kind of like, okay, take a breath.
0: (laughs) It's a little bit of a release. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about the montage. There's a, a montage of high school witnesses that come <laughs> in Naomi to talk about the fight.
1: What I did. All
0: right, we got to talk. It was it was just a, a lovely thing, and also how it ended, how it built up to a moment that was important. You know, important because
1: I had it first. It was like I worked on it, I cut the dailies for it, and I did it basically the way it was scripted, the beats. The writer wanted, you know, that Brad put in there, and then I tried to throw in a few other little things to make it funny. They were all pretty funny, and then I did another pass with Craig, and then that was when I had to hand off the episode to Naomi to finish things off. And so then it really evolved, and she can talk about
0: that. Before we get into Naomi's part of this, you were saying that you basically cut it as scripted, yes. which I'm assuming is not the way we saw it.
2: Oh hell no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, yeah.
2: Hell no. <laughs> Part of Craig's approach, you know, he shot it really sort of documentary style. So I think, you know, I never actually asked him the conversations he had with the actors, but he must have had conversations with the actors because there were actually only a handful of scripted lines for that montage. So there was a lot of ad-libbed material to work with. So one of the things that was essential actually was our apprentice, who is fantastic. He had been largely responsible for script syncing our dailies. But there was no script for this. So I asked him, feeling pretty terrible about it, to create transcripts for me. (laughs) And that became essential as the process continued. And so, yeah, I think that tone on this show is one of the things that's so complicated. And I think that that sequence is a really excellent example because yeah, the idea, you know, these kids, they really didn't see much and they don't know much, but they're teenagers. And so they're going to give you their information with that teenager saltiness. They all have an opinion
0: and they all have a personality that's very evident.
2: Yes. And so in the producer's cut, stage. Brad had some ideas, you know, but he wasn't quite sure how he wanted. And I said, Brad, just talk to me about what it is, the overall feeling that you're looking to get from this. And then just give me some time. Let's just talk about what you're hoping to get out of this and then let me take it. And he really wanted to emphasize, you know, these kids, they don't know anything and the detectives aren't going to get any information from these teenagers and we want it to be fast and funny. And so that was a first pass that I did, but it was too funny. It, it didn't have enough. <laughs> <laughs> there was great material to pull from, you know, and I didn't mean that as a humble brag that it was too funny, but that totally <laughs> it didn't, it didn't work. You know, we need,
0: you have to modulate the yes, tone. Yes,
2: there needed to be levity and there needed to be laughs, but there needed to be some specific information that got communicated both to the audience and the detectives. And then we needed to transition into the interview with Jess, Aaron's closest friend. And she's, the one person who's truly distraught. And that was something that Brad had talked about that he really wanted to feel that difference that Jess is the one person who actually cares about Aaron in this situation and in this montage. And I wanna really feel that. And so kind of went back in to retool it a little and got rid of some of the, the more ancillary laughs and tried to get in a little bit more of the information about what had happened so that it could be an easier transition into the conversation with Jess and losing her best friend. It was one of those moments where you get to see some of that great comedic work from Evan Peters and Kate Winslet, you know, and their reactions. But then also when you get to Jess, you get to see that humanity that Mayor has and that ability to connect with someone who is who is hurting and to try to get them to open up because it's so important to do so. And, and that was also, you know, that had to be, kind of worked into, but you didn't want to miss out on those great moments of just these kids and their inanity.
0: Well, and that's the difficult thing for an editor too, is that transition from something that's funny to then this moment. And I can't remember how that was exactly cut, but you've got a easier way in. You can't just be- You do be... have the easier
1: way in because the scene originally started with Jess and then it went into the montage. And so tonally that, that was kind of incorrect. So that's, that was one of the things that, you know, we were bumping on when I was working with Craig, it was like, then you go into this funny thing and it's like, eh. and I think they found the solution was to kind of put her at the end and shift the tone that way, because it, you have this little breath scripted. It started with jazz, and then it went into the other thing and it got flipped.
0: Something I want to talk about is sometimes when I watch these things, I've got to like turn off my editor. functionality somehow, but I, sometimes I see a shot that I just go, that's the way you get into the scene, right? The one that I'm thinking of is when Mare arrives at the book signing party, and there's this great shot tilting up the stairs, and it just does a lot for revealing things. When you see a shot like that, do you go, oh, that's how I get in? Or were there a billion other choices that were just as good?
1: There were a lot of choices in that scene, you know, but I mean, that was... That was the kind of here she comes, but that was funny because I mean the secret to that is there there was another actor who was cast in Guy Pierce's part, Ben Miles. And so that scene where Kate comes up, everything with Guy Pierce was shot at a completely different time. And all of the stuff with Kate was shot earlier. So <laughs> I had to kind of glue it all together. All worked, you know. I mean, we had to do a vfx on the poster for his book you know because she's sitting next to it <laughs> so all of that i had before and i was just waiting for the guy pierce parts and but it was all stuck together and i mean that scene has some great parts too where she's sticking the pate under the couch cushions
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's a great one
1: you know i mean it, it went on later because it all kind of goes back to the hoagie and the rolling rock you know she orders a Uh, vodka soda at the bar and it's like $12. And it's, you know, she's offered this pate. I mean, the pate stayed, but she wanted a rolling rock and they, so there's no, you know, no beer here at this bar. Um, But that got cut out, but a cushion stayed. Yeah.
0: That was a great, a great moment. The casual tucking it under the, under the seat. Um, I'm using this word because we know what it means, but it has a derogatory term and I don't want to use that in a derogatory way. Shoe leather. What is the value of using shoe leather? When you do put shoe leather into a show, okay, I'm not just going to cut to Mare knocking on a door. I'm going to show her driving down the street. I'm going to show her walking up to the door. What is the value of that? Why use that?
1: For him, it was like getting into Mare's place of where she is. Mary had a lot going on. It wasn't just, you know, the place she was going to. It was where she was just all the time, tracking her emotional, a lot of it was just that. And also he wanted to show the town. I mean, some of Brad's thing was wanting to show the community. And that was where we had little bits of the interstitials. I mean. Naomi found one that, that like, it, it's a Twitter guy, you know, dog carrying a bag in Easttown. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, these are the little parts that were like the glue. It's important to see Zabel and Mare across the park and look for clues because it's all going to come back later. This is all part of a mystery that you're trying to build up.
2: Talking about going from tone to tone in this series, oftentimes the quote-unquote shoe leather is a moment to kind of help you transition, you know, both maybe geographically within the world of the show, but also emotionally as a viewer gives you a little time for certain things to sink in, maybe that piece of information that's now spinning around your head that Mayor's learned, so you've learned it too, and that makes it a little bit... Easier than if the next scene maybe has more comedic elements to it. If sometimes if it just all smashed right up against each other, then nothing really has a moment to land or breathe. We definitely had a lot of beautiful shots to choose from, and I liked the idea. You know, as we were working with stuff that we got to control the pace, and there's so many ways to do that, of course, and and a beautiful super wide shot of two detectives crossing a park is only one of the ways to do that. I think you almost make a statement with it as filmmakers too, that we are going to show you what we want to show you. We're going to show it to you when we want to show it to you. And we're going to really take you on this ride the way we think it should be gone on instead of just trying to cram everything in. Yeah, you know, certainly... it's, like it's a
1: murder mystery. I mean, this is the thing with our show is it's a family drama with a murder mystery thrown in it. And so that was the thing that we were always trying to like stay on top of. Episode three, I think it's probably my favorite episode because it it has everything in it. It's so much family drama and everything ramps up. Suddenly Mare's ex-husband is a suspect and the priest is a suspect and like all of these. But she runs into Zabel at the bar and he pours out his soul to her. Being able to like take your time to tell those stories was really important.
0: Were you under any time constraints on episode length?
1: We were. I mean, HBO wanted us to bring everything in at 58 minutes. There were a few that definitely went over, especially the ending. You know, um, we fought to just have it as long as we possibly could. Uh, Yeah, they do. They want it to be an hour long because they still broadcast. And so John Oliver is not going to be on at the right time. (laughs) Your DVR is set and you're still subscribing to, you know, true direct TV. So it's
0: like Yeah. The shoe leather scene that I was talking about was Mare going to the scene of the, the murder. Right. Aaron, right? There's a there's in the right amount of time, but she does get in the car, she walks down the hill. It takes her some time to get there. And you could have just said the phone call happens and there's I the had body. A version of it that, like that.
1: But Brad was like, no. This is where we're going to have our little title, and this is where she's going to drive down the road, and she's just going to start processing it.
0: And quite literally, in the title of the show, the location is a character.
1: Mm Got to have Easttown.
0: Episode three, there's a custody argument with overcutting of dialogue, overcutting of frank argument shortly afterward. Do you guys, was that overcutting? Do you remember that, that two people are talking kind of over each other? Yeah, yeah. Did they actually record it like that or did you tighten it up? I
2: did some tightening,
1: but I mean, they were talking over each other.
2: Yeah. Happened regularly in, yeah. uh, in the, the <laughs> yeah. day. More than one scene, I cut totally MOS first and then went back in to see whether I'd left myself enough space for the dialogue as I thought I had. But there definitely was a lot of, I guess, maybe almost Altman-esque. Yeah. Um, dialogue happening at one time at various points and it it's funny because it's such a headache when you're cutting it truly is it's a headache it's a headache but it it does lend something different and organic to the performances that you won't quite achieve if you've just created that overlap editorially i think because what the actors are giving to each other continues to inform every next moment of overlap and things are getting loud and so it is it's a lot of work to kind of make it in actually intelligible and and clear. And then and then you get into the real work of the scene, I think, yeah. with those.
1: No, because in well in 103, there's like two conversations. It's like Mayor confronting, you know, uh, her ex-husband about him lying about talking to Aaron. And and there's the other one with Carrie, you know, talking about getting custody of Drew. The the one with Frank, I I kind of overlapped a lot but the one with Carrie it was like they they did it on purpose because you want to see Carrie get a little unhinged and then ultimately you know it leads to Mare doing something that ruins a lot of stuff for her so <laughs> it, it yeah it was like she made a choice like after that you know
0: one of the things that I loved was some sound design which obviously you know professionals down the line do that but you guys have to speak into that as picture editors i loved there was a where she drops off mayor drops off her son and he kind of goes in without even looking back at her and it cuts to this big wide gorgeous wide shot and there's like a train howling in the background or something there's just some lovely sound design talk to me about what you guys do with sound design and what does that help you with
1: I mean, I know Brad North put in the trains, like they talked about it as like a choice. Um, Everybody lives in a different neighborhood in Easttown. Like, where does the train come through? You know, if you're slightly poor, the train comes through like right next door. If you're more middle-class, it's way off in the distance. So that was a Brad thing. Um, But I know Naomi gets into sound design a lot. It's like one of her (laughs) favorite things. And I asked her to help me with a lot of it, you know, because I know she loves it
0: is it something you hand off to assistants a lot most of the time I mean, yes, many you do. editors do yeah. is you're like hey okay i got this where i like it we need to you know yeah. do flesh this out for me
2: i think yes. that for me not so much but i think that's in part because i have often as an editor not had the luxury of having an assistant or i have been an assistant doing cutting and then also needing to do that work for the editor so for me Um, you know, I'm just doing that work as I go along. Um, but it was great on this show to have the incredible crew that we did have. Um, you know, we had two assistant editors and an apprentice, um, and one of our assistant editors ultimately became our VFX editor. He has an immense talent in that. And so I definitely found it to be fantastic. If I was able to suddenly be like, right, let me not. Do this, let me have a conversation and hand it off because also it's a great opportunity for assistant editors to have some creative contribution into the work at times, especially when you're overloaded with outputs and things like that. I know as when I was assisting, I always loved getting an opportunity to really help contribute to the story. You know, and I think that scene in particular that you're talking about when. I think that shot's in 106, but 104 is when we first see Carrie's apartment, and Craig and I definitely talked about, so what is, you know, she's just gotten this place, you know, she's barely back on her feet. What does this neighborhood sound like? We kind of had a sort of kitchen sink approach, and I there were a lot of things in my tracks. Loud motorcycle, things breaking, kids playing outside, even though it was dark. But what's great is when you get into the sound spot, you know, and talking with Brad North, it's like, obviously, we've done We've done too much here, but what are the what are the things that you think will really work? And you know, one of the things we had talked about was the sounds of people fighting in the apartment next door that the walls here are thin in this apartment building. And and so that's something that was carried through. And early on, when we first get to Dawn's house, at some point, I just decided this is a woman who has wind chimes in her <laughs> in her front porch area. Or if she doesn't, one of her neighbors does, but there are definitely wind chimes that are going to be heard at this space. And I remember thinking, this might be the craziest thing I've ever done. But every time, you know, Craig started to work, he's like, oh, I love it, Brad, can't, oh, I love it. So then when we got to the sound spot, I was like, all right, Brad, I am ride or die for these wind chimes. So <laughs> just know this. But it felt it felt authentic to that character and to that location. And it's not that I'm just constantly throwing in wind chimes willy-nilly. It just felt very bright for Dawn and her um, and her outlook on life. It's fun. I think it's fun to explore those elements of the story and create those rich, those rich tapestries. One of our assistant editors, Genesis, really brought beautiful elements to this temp sound design that carried through and then worked
1: to the very end. Genesis came to me, she texted me, you know, she's like, maybe we should put the documentary back in Mare's head at the end when she's sitting there and everybody's coming in. And it was genius. It was genius, and Brad Inglesby was delighted. You want to hand these things off to the assistants because it's like Genesis had a genius idea, and um, Genesis had been my assistant for like three years, and I was always encouraging her to like just tell me, you know, if you have an idea, just tell me because I want to hear it. And she had an idea. Like I was like, that's great, you know. And that was the thing that came through at the end was the documentary.
0: That documentary was really interesting to me. I, I was watching. I'm like, oh, an editor is cutting somebody editing. That's kind of interesting. What NLE is that?
1: Yeah, good question.
0: I'm like, it's not an Avid. It's not Premiere. It's, it's not Resolve. It's a bunch
1: of them. It was like Final Cut Pro meets Avid meets Premiere. It was mostly the Avid. And then we were like, we know we can't use that. So then VFX kind of took it over and made a whole interface for it. But for the longest time, it was just a full screen of the documentary. I mean, we were like, yeah, we have to make an editing system for her.
0: That was it. Kind of fun watching her cut a documentary in the middle of the the movie. Yeah. I like that. I taught my daughter how to edit, but she learned on Avid, so. (laughs) Good for her. (laughs) I don't really remember this really well, but when they're talking about the Upper Darby case, there's a discussion where he says, you owe me a Coke it was very funny. I loved that. It was like, do you guys know this term drag netting? When you drag net a cut, it's when you literally always are on the person who's speaking. Right. Sure. That scene, the Coke, the you owe me a Coke was the opposite <laughs> of drag netting to me. I, I loved the pace and it was so not being on the person speaking.
1: Well, it's Abel's lying. You find out later. So you're supposed to be kind of like, Mare's in this completely different headspace where she's like, you know, gone through the, the room to take something out. So you don't know like what she's up to. And then Zabel is basically telling this story. And he's, he's telling it very strangely. It's like, well, especially on this show, it's like, everybody's so great. You really had to have a reason to cut away from somebody.
0: I was trying to figure out, I don't know how we can even talk about intercutting of the confession with the reenactment of the night
1: oh yeah can we
0: talk about that without giving away who who was confessing because basically you have a confession of a character who did it it's the final mm-hmm. episode it's the final couple scenes of the final episode kind of but you're not just staying with that character no you're cutting back and forth between the reenactment of the Their night
1: point of view yes
0: yeah so talk to me about when when you choose those moments to be on the subject in the interrogation room and when you choose to be out.
1: Originally, I cut it the way it was scripted, using various things as voiceover and showing what happened. And it kind of stayed the same. I mean, it really did. Some things we needed to make shorter, you know, but it also was a really emotional moment for all of the characters. Except for the chief who's watching, taking it all in. Um, but knowing like everybody in that room is in pain. So yeah, it's funny. The way that scene was written is kind of the way it played out in the end. It was just making sure that if I cut back to Mare, she was doing something to take it all in. I mean. For being very empathetic, but also needing to know like every single thing that happened was really important. And you did need to see every single thing that happened because it's heartbreaking, you know. I followed the script, tried to keep the pace going, you know, in a way that worked. And I had Stephanie Lowry, our music editor, put in a piece of music. <laughs> she edited a giant piece of music to kind of keep it all going along. And that was really helpful to kind of bring the whole thing together.
0: Do you prefer to edit dry without music, or yeah, do you... I do,
1: I do, and I put the music in later. Sometimes, if it's an action scene, sometimes it helps to have like a little bit of a soundtrack, but not really. I I just don't do that. I edit it dry, and then find out what's going to work later.
0: Naomi, yeah. thoughts on music?
2: I work a little differently. Some things I cut dry. I mean, as I said before, a lot of I cut MOS actually even if there was an overlapping dialogue, a lot of times I know the dailies so well, by the time I'm cutting a scene together, I'm pretty sure I've got everything and then I'll I'll put the sound back on once I feel it emotionally, just watching the picture I've got. Some scenes I'll cut with music, some I won't and I'll add it in later. For me, it's really a scene to scene and, and probably also just sort of like where my kind of creative energy is coming from on a day that sometimes maybe if I'm not able to unlock whatever it is I need to access a scene and I'll just be like, well, let me put this piece of music in that. I think I'm going to want to use and kind of just leave it unlocked on a bottom track so that I can continue moving everything else around. The music's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to get chopped up. It's just, but it's there kind of helping me kind of tap into the zone sometimes. But I do love to edit music. I mean, I think that's another thing that probably, again, just having had such a long assistant editor career something that was often part of my real, um, set of responsibilities and I and I do love to work with music and and have to be careful not to get too deep into the weeds too early on with my music edits sometimes but because I do enjoy it so much but that can often early on not really be where you need to be putting all of your focus is getting that perfect music edit.
1: I asked Naomi to help me on a few sequences and it was really funny because I chose some music first and I'm like, oh, I don't know. And then blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I'm going to get Naomi's expertise because she's really good at it. And she ended up putting in a piece of music that I had tried out. And it was like, for some reason, I don't know when she did it, it was just better.
0: It was like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was could like, see that. Okay,
1: maybe I just needed to step away.
0: But yeah. like...
2: <laughs> well, that's real, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, sometimes we do have to step yeah, away. You have to step away. <laughs>
1: We used a lot of David Fincher music and, and things in some spaces because it's so ethereal. You know, the Trent Reznor, Atticus Ross.
2: It was just, you know, we had a great library and these were from films I would not seen. But I do love it when you find a score that has, for whatever reason, it's just totally tapped in. So I kept going back to that a lot. Really good. I was a big fan of, of that. It's always helpful when you can find one or two scores that you can really lean on and because then you'll you're doing the work that will ultimately be done of creating themes and reprising elements you can do it in your own temp tracks in a way that's very effective
0: sometimes you have to cross the 180 right especially in a complicated scene like a dinner table scene or something like that where there's multiple people there's multiple 180s right episode seven at the arcade mare and her mom are talking about band-aid and therapy oh yeah so how do you, do you find that? And you just go, we just have to do it. This is you the just point. Do, I
1: mean, I kind of, I just do it now. I, I, if it really becomes like a sore thumb, you know, you try to smooth it over somehow, but I, I kind of just do the cell machine maker. Like there are no mistakes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no mistakes in editing. No, it's like she's putting the Band-Aid on and one, you know, on one axis. And then it's like my mayor looks up on that axis. But then it's like you've moved over into the conversation and you just have to do it. I mean, the, the, there was just no getting around that Band-Aid. No mistake. Right, you know, it was a
0: very but, complicated scene yeah, with a lot yeah. of people speaking and also different interesting directions. So you're like, I have to cross the 180 because that's where the actress will have a great background. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. right? Because otherwise she's up against a wall or something like I don't want yeah. that. So then you have yeah. to switch, and you just have to find some time. There has to be some moment in a scene like that where you go, "Time to switch."
1: Yeah, I don't know. I worked on that show in treatment, and uh, sometimes it's like in the middle. You know, we had the, we had an axis switch. You know, break up that thirty-minute conversation.
0: In one of my conversations uh, that I loved with Walter Murch, he said. It, you blow some smoke over the edit. I thought that was a great explanation of it. You find he something did. that blows smoke over the transition. Like he's
1: really good at like finding a sound effect or something that, just look over here.
0: That's right. It's like wow. a magic trick. It's a magic trick. <laughs> exactly. Love that. Yeah. Is there anything that you guys wanted to talk about about the show or that you feel like people would really want to know about?
2: Well, I guess I just think to take a minute to just, I think one thing that's wild, you never know how something that you work on is going to be received. You never. never do. And you give it your everything every time. You work as hard as you can to make it the best version of itself that it can be. And then the rest is out of your hands. And the response to this series, it's like, you know that you're working with phenomenal performances. We know that there's so much excellent craftsmanship in the series that, that we are making, but you still don't know how it how it will play for audiences. And to have the response that it's had, it, just been kind of a great moment it's, it's mind-blowing it's it, truly been mind-blowing it's mind-blowing like- and it's fun because i think I was trying to figure out what it was, what it was that I, obviously it's great when something you do is successful, but there was something about it that was really sparking and resonating with me. And I and uh, I was texting with Craig Zobel, the director. It was after that, you know, Amy mentioned the shot of the dog with the, I was, you know, I was ride or die for this shot. <laughs> and I had to fight for it too. I had to fight to keep this shot in the show. And I was like, no, it really needs to be in. And then a friend of his took a picture of his TV while watching it, circled the dog and was like, we need to talk about, this moment and i was like this is amazing and now there's there is there's a twitter account there's a twitter
1: account dog of east town you know for this
2: one b-roll shot that i just knew had to go in but people were really having fun yeah
1: the the amount of fun that people have with the show was really the really mind-blowing thing i didn't expect all the memes we knew like mare squeezing easy cheese on the cheese ball was going to be one thing, but the hoagie in her face when she's driving or the, you know, the breakfast sandwich or whatever, like so many things, you yeah. know, my
2: sister, you know, texting me angrily, you know, about something that we did in the yeah. series that, you know, had oh, yeah. her in a no. panic, right. And yeah. so, but people were I know exactly what she's talking about. Yes, And people <laughs> were having these powerful emotions, you yeah. know, and I think that, you know, who's to say but something about, I think, just kind of being where we are in what I'm calling the between times in this pandemic, right? We're not quite in quarantines anymore, but we're not in the aftertimes. Yeah. And it kind of just became this thing that people were able to really get excited about. Amy had sent me something else where some family had made their own murder board for the case. You know, it's like, no matter what parts of it people are connecting with, like people were really finding different elements yeah. of the show. And it was really just kind of bringing people something that I guess, the, you know, it just needed. Did they need uh, it? They needed yeah. our show. Right, which is just is. wild. And it's exciting to 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 be a part of that and to feel like we've gotten to like really take people on a journey. And I think that I'll work just as hard on every other film and television series Absolutely. I make. And I, and I don't know whether this will ever happen again in this way. And that's okay. That's not why I do it. But I also definitely really... Trying to appreciate this kind of wild moment that there has been with Mayor, like what a neat thing to be a part of. Yeah,
1: because I, you know, just like the emails and texts I've gotten from people, and and um, it's been it's been tremendous, and I love you know I'm trying to bask, and it's just you know your career is a roller coaster in this business. It's it's filled with lots of ups and downs, and and it's so much hard work that a lot of people will just don't see, and and. And they just don't know. And it can be depressing. It's It's been really great that, they, that people responded to the show the way they did.
0: So now you got to get your agents to make the most of it.
1: That's right. <laughs>
2: <laughs>
0: Look, there's a Look, buzz. Yeah. <laughs> I need oh, some me. meetings now.
2: <laughs> you know, a friend asked me uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, someone who doesn't work in the business and said, oh, you know, are you prepared to do your your victory tour? And I said... The only victory tour is to get to do it again. It's that oh, I right. and the success of this show means I get to keep working, and I get to do it again, and Precisely. I get to work on shows that are just as good. With with again, so right, it's so many people worked so hard, and in a pandemic to to create this series like and i and like we
1: didn't work in person on this show like i barely like i barely worked in person with craig like one time when i went to pennsylvania to visit the set and work with him like once did i work with him in person craig actually came here to los angeles he's from he lives in georgia he came here just so we could all be in the same time zone and so he could go to some mixes maybe brad lives in irvine mark lives in hollywood Jimmy, one of our assistants, was in Chicago, so we're like you.
2: Know, <laughs> I,
0: might Jimmy, I might need Jimmy. I might need Jimmy's name.
2: You, you definitely, definitely do. need Jimmy's uh, name. Yeah. He's the assistant who Tremendous. ultimately became our VFX editor, and it's just phenomenal talent in that regard. Magicians, um,
0: ladies, I've taken up so much of your time, and thank it was you. such a pleasure to talk to both of you. Thank you so much for bringing this great show to us.
2: Well, thank you so much. For thank the you. To talk
1: yeah. About it. Thank you so much, Steve. It was great.
0: That's it for Art of the Cut this week. Thanks so much for listening. Again, these interviews are also available to read at blog.frame.io, where they're supported with great visual content, images, video clips, and more. Also, it's a great opportunity to check out the other expert content on the blog for filmmakers of all types. Also, check out the book, Art of the Cut Conversations with Film and TV Editors for a topic-driven, curated experience. Thanks to my guests, Amy Duddleston, ACE, and Naomi Sunrise-Filaramo. Thanks also to Eric Randolph for editing today's podcast using Adobe Audition. Thanks to Frame.io for their support of Art of the Cut and its pledge to keep this content coming your way. If this is a podcast that you got something out of, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at at Steve Hullfish. And so you don't miss all the great upcoming interviews on the Art of the Cut podcast, subscribe to this podcast and give it a review, please. And if you have a friend in the film business or who aspires to be in the film business, make sure to tell them about the Art of the Cut podcast and blog.frame.io.